Welcome to Talking In Stations, a podcast about EVE Online recorded live on Twitch, 1500 Universal Time. I am your host, Matterall, from Destructive Influence Corporation, NCDOT, and also from INN. And today we're going to talk about Tech 3 Cruisers, and those were released in the Apocrypha expansion, and they were made from ingredients that came out of wormholes and were really amazing combinations of ships to give you an amazing amount of choice. And they have needed to be revamped for a while now. So that's what we're going to talk about today with some of our game experts and panel. And let's go ahead and get into introductions and get started. Say hello, Apophany. Let's go down alphabetical order. Hey, what's up? Uh, do you mind introducing yourself, Apophany? Sorry. Hey, I'm Apophony. Uh, I'm a member of Sniggeredly in Pandemic Legion. Uh, I used to be an FC, but now I do more EVE tournament-based stuff. Asher Elias, FC for Swarm. Hello. Um, I actually started playing EVE, I think, the day that Apocrypha was released. So I am the perfect expert, as I was born when the T3s were. Nice. Carneros? Good morning, I'm Carneros, the CEO of the Bastion Imperium Coalition. Elise Randolph. Hello, I'm Elise Randolph, member of our Pandemic Legion, and uh, we're probably one of the first people to use the Tech 3 Cruisers, so, uh, and we've used them pretty pretty proficiently for the last, uh, I don't know, five years or so. And Seamus. Hello, I am Seamus Dunahu of Eve University. I am a member of the Education Department. Great. And also joining us is, wow, we got a, a, a kind of... Great, a little reward there. I'll, I'll check out what that is in a minute. All right, we also have Celine who's joining us, who's former CCP uh, dev, but uh, head of uh, Mercenary Coalition, was before CCP and after CCP. So he knows a bit about these things uh, since he worked on the Apocrypha expansion. Um, so we'll bring him in in just a second. All right, let's uh, just open up the topic and let's talk about TE3s. Somebody want to introduce what they are just a little bit to give people background that don't know? Sure, I can do that. Right. All right, so Tech 3 Strategic Cruisers, just to give you the background, as you know, all ships have rig slots, high slots, mid slots, low slots. Tech 3 Strategic Cruisers have an additional set of slots in addition to this. These are called sus subsystem slots. Right now, every Strategic Cruiser has five subsystem slots. Offense, defense, uh, electronics, engineering, and propulsion. And to assemble a strategic cruiser from packaged form, you need not only the hull item, you also need at least one of each of the different subsystems. And if you have multiples of each subsystem type, the game will ask you which subsystem do you want to put into this when you assemble it. And the different subsystems provide different sorts of bonuses, uh, so you can choose uh, what bonuses you want to attach to your strategic cruiser. That's basically a Tech 3 Strategic Cruisers in a nutshell, I would imagine. It has one more interesting factor that you don't see on other ships. The concept is it is so tightly integrated with the pilot that if you lose the ship in combat, it will actually lose a part of the pilot as well, a part of the pilot's mind, and that's represented in game by skill point loss. You will actually lose $5 if the ship dies. No. Is that it's what it comes out to? Oh, okay. No. Yeah, what happens is if your, if your strat cruiser blows up, 
you lose one level in a randomly selected subsystem skill that's associated with that strategic cruiser. So if you're flying a Loki-class Minotaur strategic cruiser and it blows up, then the game's going to randomly select uh, one of the five relevant subsystem skills, Minotaur Offensive, Minotaur Defensive, uh, and so on. It'll pick one of those five, and you'll lose one level from that randomly selected skill. All right, cool. Which, if you want, if you want to back up to the same level, of course, you'll have to start skill training it uh, back up again. Yeah, I'd like to point out to all the follows. Thank you guys very much for supporting the program. And uh, also, Celine has joined us. Can you just uh, say hello real quick? Good afternoon, everybody. Awesome. Thanks for coming, making time. All right, so that was a quick introduction to T3s. Is this true that uh, I know it's you're probably out of NDAs, but maybe you don't want to talk about this? That you worked on Apocrypha. Celine? Yeah, um, myself and um, CCP, CCP Whisper, Whisper was the associate producer at the time. And um, trying to remember, uh, Grayscale, me and Grayscale were working on Apocrypha. There were two, um, there were several primary features in that expansion, but the two biggest ones were wormholes and uh, the new resources in those and strategic cruisers. Uh, myself and Grayscale, we did all of the wormhole part of the feature and another team did the strategic cruiser part of it um we did a lot of back and forth between the two but i was not i was not on the primary team for t3s but we had a lot of input into how they were going to be built and you know all of that stuff oh that's cool so uh somebody bring us up to speed uh what's going on with t3s and why are, is it even happening I don't know. Anybody? Let's talk. I can, touch on, I can touch on it. Good. Great. Um, so T3s are um, and have been a, a very strong ship for, well, for quite a while, basically, since PL started using them um, as a coherent doctrine. And um, they had a lot of power uh, in that they have very small signature radius and they have really high resists which means that there's almost no way to punch through them if there's any Lachi on the field because they will almost always catch reps unless you can just, just totally alpha the ship. And uh, using using a, like a large artillery to alpha a T3 is pretty tough because you got to get it going really slow and have a lot of target banners on it and just also have a lot of ships to alpha through it. So um, so it's, it's a really tough haul. Uh, and so uh, being a cruiser haul, it can go through a wormhole, which means that T3s... Are able to you could put 200 of them through a, a large wormhole you, you can actually put 255 if you wanted to um and um they can go anywhere basically in the galaxy on relatively short notice and swing any fight um by projecting a lot of power and bringing a really super serious doctrine to um to a fight so there was sort of the feeling that they were too mobile too small and too good um so uh, I'm sure there were other design reasons for adjusting them, but uh, a lot of people complained that like uh, T3s out of wormholes became was becoming too oppressive. Um, you could talk to Elise about that. He probably has more info on that. And uh, another, sorry, another little interesting bit about the, um, the strategic cruisers, which kind of merits a rebalance, is uh, as Seamus was saying, there are a lot of different options and variants that you can choose. Um, there are five subsystems, and there's different variants of those. So, like theoretically, you could have hundreds of different, actually thousands of different, like configurations. But it turns out people just 
kind of min-max the whole thing since they've been around for so long. And everyone basically just uses the exact same bits. And in that configuration, they um, over or outshine and uh, overpower the, um, the hacks, which is what kind of people used to fly. So they're just better than one certain ship class. And uh, in spite of their uh, near unlimited variety, they, everyone just flies it the same exact way, uh, more or less. By hack, he means heavy assault cruiser. Yeah, what a lot of people who haven't been playing the game for very long don't realize is that, you know, zealots and services and things like that used to actually be like frontline ships. You'd see them flying all over Nullsec. And then I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was in like 10 or 2010 or 11. I know that there was a huge push inside of PL to get uh, everybody fly you know with the skills to get to a certain uh to a certain doctrine and the first time that you really saw what t3s could do was the thundercat doctrine which was like missile tengus and they were so effective and so ridiculously overpowered compared to like anything they came up against um they were finally you know these things against the old northern coalition and you put a wall of these you know these thundercats up against you know 150 maelstroms and they were just blapping them blapping them blapping them blapping them and the buffers were so much on them that they couldn't alpha them off the field and the scimitars would just repair them and it took it took actually like four or five engagements before they actually blew up one of these undercats and understood what pl was doing and that kind of started the the t3 arms race as it were and people started to realize that uh if they actually trained for these things and they've been in the game for a couple of years already but if people actually put the effort into them then they could be a valid frontline doctrine so it's all PL's fault, really. <laughs> you hear that? You hear that, Elise? That I didn't you. do it. So they made that. And how long ago was that? When did that actually shift like that? Sometime around 2010 or 11. I, I, I can't. Um, it happened. I'd, I mean, Elise, you were you were there. Um, I can't remember. I mean, it was about maybe six or eight months before uh, we joined PL. But you guys had been running those things to great effect up against the old Northern Coalition before they basically got burned down. So that puts it at what, uh, like 2010 or 11 ish, I think. Yeah, between 2010 and 2011, somewhere around there. And it was hilarious. Uh, when we went to use them, uh, the Alliance executor actually theory crafted the fit for the Tengus. And everyone was like, what? No, no, these are too expensive. Like, uh, if we die, we're going to lose skill points. Like, we can't do that. No one would ever, in their right mind, use this as a fleet comp. Uh, and then, then we did. Yeah, so you guys were even uh, not believers until somebody proved that it could happen. Yeah, yeah. So what? Uh, so that comes. Okay, so these ships come out in two thousand eight. No, so two thousand nine, or was it ten? No, it was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah, and they're around. Because they joined in the middle of apocrypha. Yeah, that was apocrypha. Yeah. Yeah, so they're around for a while. I want to talk about apocrypha, by the way, but they're around for a while. People are using them in wormholes, which is kind of what where they come from, because they're made out of materials from there. And then it isn't until PL decides these things are great as a fleet. Because they're kind of supposed to be individual ships, I imagine. Is that Was that how you guys were thinking about it? Zaline, were you... um, I think that what was, I, I think that what the, <clears throat> the thing behind it was, was that Tech 3 cruisers were supposed to be the beginning of like the next stage of technology in EVE. 
they had the Tech 2 ships, which were basically just a little bit better and a little bit more resistant than normal ships. And they were all basically, you know, they looked the same, but they had like extra fins or whatever on them and their stats were a bit better. Tech 3s were supposed to be, you know, something a step beyond that, something that gave players a bit more customization to the point of the ships, you know, even looking different when you customize them. And uh, I remember that balancing them was of course a giant challenge but the by far one of the most hilarious things was uh the strain that it put on the art departments of both ccp and atlanta basically the world of darkness team shut down for almost four months while they were helping build the art assets for five you know five different configurations of five different type you know four different types of strategic cruisers it was hilarious but Eventually, you know, there were supposed to be, you know, Tech 3 destroyers and Tech 3 crews or, you know, Tech 3 frigates and so on and so forth. But I think that after they saw the amount of effort that it took to bring them in and balance them and the amount of, you know, and the, the challenges that they had, that they just kind of took their foot off the gas. Oh, and then they started building space Barbies and, you know, stuff like that, too. So that kind of put a damper on things as well. I've heard uh, it's hearsay because I heard from somebody that uh, Apocrypha was like the most expensive expansion that they had done up to date as far as design cost and all that. And I did hear, I, I read in Eon Magazine, which is a magazine that used to come out about EVE, which was terrific, by the way, that um, Apocrypha was kind of a combination of everything going right. Things just kind of fell into place. A lot of uh, resources were pulled from Atlanta. And so they kind of got this thing off the ground, which was huge, if you think about it, because they introduced wormholes and T3 at the same time. So it's interesting to kind of get hear the background on that, what that was like. So, so yeah, so this was supposed to be the next wave of what ships were to look like. So you had your Tech 1s that were basic, you had Tech 2s that were advanced, and then you had Tech 3s, which were mutations that were supposed to be even more um, advanced. And that just, uh, you guys couldn't sustain the development that it took to, to make all these variations, huh? And it would have been a balancing nightmare, I imagine. Well, it wasn't just, I would... I, I couldn't begin to imagine all of the thoughts that went on whenever these things hit and they saw, you know, what players were doing with them <clears throat> and everything. But I can definitely say that uh, as to what you said earlier about Apocrypha being expensive, yes, in terms of technical debt, you know, they managed to get this thing out and, you know, put wormholes on the server and all these other things. But they spent the next year cleaning up code and bugs and yeah. everything from it. So I can only imagine what that was like. But as far as going forward from there with other ship classes and stuff, it wasn't just ships. I mean, they were they were looking at doing uh, like like modular uh, modules and guns. Like you know, you'd have like a 425 railgun that could have like three different configurations. That maybe one you could put it together and it would give you a shield resistance bonus or something along those lines. I mean, there were all kinds of ideas for Tech Three stuff on the drawing boards. It wasn't just ships. But uh, I don't know if we'll ever see any of that or if uh, they're too scared of you know what people will do with them to even attempt it. By the way, for those members of the audience who actually haven't seen the patch, the proposed patch changes yet, I just put a link in the uh, Twitch text chat uh, to meta.eveonline.com so you can read up on what the new subsystems are going to be. Wow. Okay. So that's the background for Tech 3 and uh, where it was supposed to go. And of course, that didn't turn out that way. Uh, instead, they made a new type of Tech 3 that doesn't rely on different parts. It seems like it's easier on the design team and it's easier on the balanced teams that work on that because it only has three options instead of uh, six. So T3's kind of sat there. T3 Cruisers kind of sat there for a while, still overpowered, still eclipsing other doctrines. And uh, until 
finally enough pressure or enough time was freed up for CCP to change it. So what are those changes? Uh, who, wants to, who wants to talk about those? Well, um, um, just um, just as a, just a broad strokes of it, and then Asher and then Apothnik can go in on more detail. Um, it, it seems like a lot of what they're doing is they're removing a little bit of power and a little bit of tank and a little bit of utility um, from these ships. So uh, ships like the Proteus right now, if you were to hop on Tranquility uh, before the patch, um, you have a very durable platform that can hit up to 70 or 80 kilometers. It is afterburning with a small signature and has two to three utility mids, depending on how you fit it. Um, so it's doing a lot of things at the same time. And that's the sort of uh, stuff that's getting nerfed a bit. Or getting, yeah, we'll call it getting nerfed. Um, so the Proteus, uh, once this patch comes in, Obviously, right now, we don't have uh, the benefit of time to come up with a, a lot of good fits and stuff. But from the, the onset of it, it does look kind of unviable for the way that it's being flown right now. Like, it's either going to go too slow, or the signature is going to be too big, or the damage is going to be too low, um, stuff like that. So you're going to have to pick and choose which one you're going to do. So it can't just be a, a Swiss Army knife. It's going to actually be one of those little things, and it's probably going to end up being the corkscrew. So the the way I put it is that um, previously T3s could be equipped with a array of subsystems such that if we think about all of the base attributes that just make a ship broadly good in EVE, you know, EHP, decent damage, decent projection, SIG, like all of those very broad things are good. You could have all of those at once. So for the price, it was very, very good. Now, um, with them being made fatter, them being made a bit slower, there is now a lot more real choice between do I want this or this? I cannot have both. I can have damage or tank in some cases. Um, basically, they are now much less strong in a broad sense. They can still be very strong in very specific senses, but they are much less strong as being those broad ships. I think you can still do them as those broad ships. We've been looking at some fits um, that they can still fill that role, but it's to the point where you have to spend a ridiculous amount of money putting them anywhere close to their old abilities. You know, you've got to full X-type that motherfucker and all that kind of shit. Yeah, I'm looking at the... Uh... Tengu, or sorry, the Loki prices and how they've skyrocketed, just as a, a visual reference for people watching the show. That's the market saying that they think the Lokis are winning out of this round. Yeah, that, no, the Lokis well, actually the look legit good. That's there. the general feeling, and the Loki was easily the worst T3 before the patch, so it, it, there's probably the least amount of, uh, of stock of any of the T3s out there. Yeah, personally, I use the uh, Loki for couple of different things. I used to use them in incursions for the extra web range and uh, sometimes when I go on my bookmarking trips outside of ISEC, I like being sneaky. So Kovops and Interdiction all fine. Yeah, it looks like the, the Loki is kind of the, the big winner along with the Legion and the Proteus over all other ships is the big loser. Like the Proteus is getting uh, beat down the hardest, uh, it would seem. Proteus and the Tango got gutted pretty hard and uh and yeah the, the protein is probably even worse than the tango but the tango is in a very bad spot too i've heard some things about this but let's talk about doctrines and if there are going to be changes uh what you suspect uh, changes will happen are people going to start getting out of these ships or are they going to get into them even more i just uh, as an expectation i fully expect that we'll see in um the micro gangs and the small gangs we're going to see a little bit more lokis in there um, because they're they're a cool ship now, and you can they can synergize really well with a, a small group of pilots. 
um, more so than a large group of pilots, I think. Um, though the large group is possible, but I think they'll they'll really shine in the, the small to medium setting. Um, the Proteus, I think, will basically never see in space uh, unless you're doing <laughs> some solo exploration. I don't expect any of the gangs to fly Proteuses. I think they're just going to be mothballed forever. And if you do take them, um, they're probably just going to be just scram platforms similar to, to what a Lachesis used to be back in the day. Um, a Lachesis is a recon ship that used to augment heavy assault cruisers um, for their tackle range bonuses. Um, so you might see those, but uh, I, I still doubt it. Uh, I still think people will fly um, strategic cruisers, the T3s, in large fleet fights. Um, but it's going to be very painful, and it's going to be very limited into what they can do. Um, the reason people will fly them is they're still better than hacks, uh, oddly <laughs> enough. After all and this. you can still, yeah. After all this, they're still better, um, and you can take them through wormholes, which is a is a good way to sort of roam around in Eve Online across big distances. So if you tackle a Rorqual or something in a region very far from yours, uh, you can take these ships. They're not going to win a strategic fight for you necessarily, but they can hold their own in a in a medium setting, and we'll probably probably end up seeing more Lokis and and Legions uh, rather than Proteuses and Tengus. It's funny, I was looking at the market, it doesn't seem like, I mean, the, uh, let's go to Proteus is here. They seem to be doing not as well, but they do seem to be up in price. So people haven't read the notes, apparently. Oh, well, they, um, they've changed the uh, drop rate in wormholes for certain um, T3 parts. So everything should be going up in price. Okay, so the, the market confidence isn't a sign of power. It's a sign of uh, the production costs going up. Okay. Well, I, what do you guys think? What are your opinions on these changes? Cautious optimism on my part. Sounds about right. I'm cautiously optimistic that PL will stop calling them armor hacks for some confusing reason. A, that was me. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, so when we first did it, we called them A-Hack 2.0 because they're like the, the logical progression of A-Hack. That's right. Um, but no, I'm pretty sure... I'm with Bothney. I think see cautious op optimism in this one. I do think more balance needs to be done to the game. Uh, like it can't just be like, okay, we're doing these, and then we'll we'll see you again in a year. Um, I really, really want to see hacks um, buffed a little bit, or at least have their role looked into again, because I'd love to see fleet doctrines composed of hacks and T3s, depending on what you want to do. So like, uh, just pretend you've got like a little dial. Uh, for like, if you take 30% hacks, 70% uh, T3s, you can do this. But if you dial it to like 60% hacks and 40% uh, T3s, you could do something completely different because the hacks would bring you like utilities and stuff like that. I think that would be really cool. That, that that's my dream. Hack, at least the classical hack fleet will never come back because it was based on ignorance. Like it was based on people not knowing how to comp their fleets and you cannot take away sort of institutional knowledge from me it's it's too late to do that so you know people are not going in, in, unless they stop existing people are not going to bring you know stop bringing 10 really tough to kill webers you know that's just going to be uh the case so you're gonna you're gonna never get to a case or never get back to a place where sig tanking really close to someone uh in a prepared battle is probably a viable strategy um, so I don't think the armor hack especially can ever make its way back as sort of what it used to do, which was, you know, SIG tank maelstrom fleets and stuff like that. 
Well, I just want to see the the hacks balanced to a, to a point where they, they are useful because, as you said, sig tanking can't really work. It, it can in, in some instances, right? Um, the way you do it is if people are taking a lot of webbing ships, you just take a lot of battle ships until they get lazy and stop taking webbing ships because the guys that are webbing are like, ah, I feel lazy. And then you just switch it up on them. But it is hard to do in this era of EVE when people are have a lot of intel and stuff like that. This has worked for us for the last 10 years, and we're going to keep using it. Uh, couldn't understand you, man. <laughs> I was making a joke. This has worked for us the last 10 years, and we're going to keep using it. Okay. That's well, the one thing is to take a big swing at something. Go, you know, swing for the fences sometimes. I appreciate that. Hey, man. Yeah, the one thing that I that I think is interesting, though, is that uh, CCP has put one major carrot out in front of these things, and that is that you can swap the rigs now, which is a function, a feature that no other ship has. And despite, you know, I mean, you know, everything Elise has said, I am curious to see if that is going to, you know, keep people in these ships, you know, past maybe what their actual usefulness is or not. But uh, it is it is something that I'm, I've that parked my attention whenever I heard about what all these changes were, is they were going to finally let you actually, you know, remove your rigs and get them where you can repackage them and take them elsewhere and then put them back together and, I'm kind of curious to see if anybody can come up with like some Swiss army comps, you know, for like, uh, you know, more in generalized type of stuff instead of being so specialized. If you can swap the rigs around and the configurations around without having to stick to like one particular configuration with one particular rig set. It just proves that Elo Knight was, was ahead of the game. He was just three years too early for hacking a box. <laughs> it also just is one more design decision to put additional pressure on the salvage market because the salvage is needed to make the rigs uh, the fact that you can swap them out and change them means that people who take the time to invest in buying a loki for example are going to probably buy at least two or three sets of rigs and might even get more they're probably more likely to get a tech two rig than they would have been if they knew they were going to lose them it was it was going to be you know forever married to the hull, uh, and that's just more and more salvage being used uh, in an already tight market. It is really cool to to mention that you guys can or the new strategic cruisers can remove their rigs, um, because now the ship feels more like uh, an investment than you're just buying a ship, right? Because before you would buy a. Uh, a Tengu or something, or a Proteus, and you'd be like, well, I have to decide right now what I want to use it for, because um, if I want to put Tech 2 rigs on this thing, and then I change what I want to use it for later, I'm going to have to destroy these rigs, and that's kind of a huge bummer. And yep. the Tech 2 rigs kind of give it a, a nice little oomph, right? That's the advantage of the strategic cruisers in some regards over Tech 2 ships, because it's got three rig slots as opposed to two, so you can really buff up and shore up the, uh, the things that are lacking. Uh, now you can do that, and, and you can just pop the ship off. The ship's going to be a little bit more expensive, but you can just pop the rig off and put them back on. So it's going to feel more like um, I don't know, it kind of feels like a poor man's carrier in a way, because uh, a carrier can do so much stuff, and uh, the strategic cruiser will be able to do a lot of different things, and you'll be able to, to pimp it out in the rigs, so you'll be able to invest more into it. And that sort of lends itself to being more used in small and medium gangs rather than, than large gangs, which is probably a welcome change for a lot of people in New Eden. Let's not forget the uh, the much higher level of comedy lost mills we're going to see now with people having rigs that are not fit but are in the cargo or in, <laughs> yeah. in the hold. Yeah. The ancillary benefit. 
Uh, no one is happier about the uh, subsystem cargo bay and removable rigs than me. Uh, my guys generally hate me because I make them carry like 48 uh, modules in their cargo bay just to be prepared right now. So given more options to be more adjustable, it, it just makes me happier. Um, and it's definitely something that when I started doing it at sort of such a autistic level, um, people, you know, it wasn't really common, but it, more and more, you know, when you start seeing like brave doobies carrying three or four refits, uh, it, it just shows how much the game evolves and how people, uh, you know, pick up on, on, you know, good strategies. And then the, like the level of, uh, the level uh, of, of a commitment and knowledge needed to perform at a high level gets better and better. So we're probably going to see uh, people doing that where they're running, you know, they have two or three subsystems available to switch around and maybe some rig changes. Um, so it, it's going to be fun, I, I think. Um, and I also am cautiously optimistic about the future of uh, the T3. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, anytime they can take a doctrine and remove resists and add... Um, add uh you know ehp so sorry raw hp is what i'm going for it's better because it, it means that it's more likely that you can punch through a ship uh without having to shoot the logic first which i think is a good change and uh, just dovetailing off of what ash was saying it is really cool to see how eve has evolved into being so prepared when they undock because uh there are many instances in eve's past where we would uh we as in bpl would wait to see what uh, the enemy was flying and then we just take the exact counter to it because they would have either a lot of people and we'd be at a numbers disadvantage or we just always wanted to take the best ship uh, to be prepared and now the the meta really has shifted where everyone brings sort of everything <laughs> at the same time so no one can be like uh, completely outpicked uh, on the fleet stage right so no one's going to instantly lose it's going to be if they lose it's going to be decision based or bath phone based or something like that <laughs> Yeah, all right, guys. Fit three kinetic harders, and uh, we'll see if these tangos work against us. Yeah, exactly. Celine? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, just to kind of bring this around, like what Elise was saying with regard to, like, you know, what you're going to run into. I mean, this is, you know, this is something, if you've been in, if, if you're part of an alliance, you know, moves around a lot or does a lot of smaller and medium stuff, especially, you know, not just in NullSec, like, like what mine does and a few others do, and even PL to an extent, it, it's... Uh, you know, people of all, theory crafters have always been looking for, you know, that that particular, you know, that doctrine that would maybe allow you to do more than one thing with a particular type of ship. And, you know, the moment that they said that they were going to allow the removal of rigs, I mean, that kind of like made a lot of us, whoa, hey, well, maybe now you can make that, you know, that Tengu that can do, oh, no, it's missiles. Oh, shit. Now they're using rails. No, they're they're tanked against this or that or whatever. There's. I'm I'm kind of excited about the you know the versatility that might be available here now, because of that one, you know, quote unquote small change, but actually allows you to have a very large amount of options. And yes, Asher, that's <laughs> Asher just posted a, quite a funny picture in chat that fits this discussion quite well. I'll post it for people watching. Um, uh, what about the the actual building of these things? Does anybody? Uh have any reference on that like how hard it's going to be to make these things i mean i know it's going to be a little bit more expensive they changed uh the way they're built a bit so there's a new uh like log jam in, in the production of it instead of the old the old one but I, i'm not I, I can't guess to see what it's going to be i imagine they're going to be a little bit more expensive but since you need fewer subsystems uh, maybe the price is going to be very very similar i don't know 
it is one of the nice things about Eve is that you can rem I, I remain actively ignorant about how spaceships are built, and I, I have no need to do so. Like, I mean, I don't need to learn anything about building spaceships. I do really enjoy that there are people who whose whole game involves build you know building or creating spaceships, and I can just pay ISK and never have to learn a thing about it. Um, which is you know other games you have to learn something about crafting or something like that. I've always appreciated that Eve does not require that. Yeah, I can talk about Tech One manufacturing in some detail, and I can talk about uh, Capital and Tech Two manufacturing on a very high level, not being able to go into details. I can't even talk about Tech Three manufacturing on the high level because I don't understand that yet. I just say that they do spooky, weird stuff in wormholes, and then a Tech Three ship is born from that ether. I want more people are weird sure anyway. A new wormhole opens, and Tech Three ships just come out fully formed. Oh, yeah. I thought a stork That's exactly how that happens. Yeah, it has it has a headache and it breaks its head open and out comes uh, Athena. Okay, so I, I do know there is going to be some changes to it that obviously made the prices go up and stuff. Uh, and there's, you know, you'll probably be reading about some of that some of that stuff. I think there was an ingredient that's new that's going to be out there that is already in the game or will be in a day or two before the changes hit. All right, so. That's what we had on T3, and I want to dovetail into CCP's new announcement that they are listening to the players, and so there was a video that came out. We won't play it here, but you can see it uh, on CCP's uh, YouTube. It has Siegel basically saying they're going to cre create a new team that's going to be doing nothing but ship balance in the future. Uh, and the other part of the announcement was that they were going to look into some of the stuff that people had been uh, grumbling about, which was... Um, how structures defend themselves and how they're overpowered and uh, those kinds of things. What did you guys think of those announcements? Uh, I am super excited about it. I'm, you know, I'm on, uh, on my own podcast and on places, you know, podcasts I've been visiting, you know, I, I've been talking about, they need to have a balanced team for ships. Um, and, you know, it, it's just crazy that, that they don't change ships until it's super obvious that there's a huge problem. That's not a good way to develop the game. It also leads to a stagnant game. Um, you know, you look at other games like League of Legends where they do balance changes every two weeks. It's not possible in EVE, but it um, it keeps the game fresh um, because you, you never, your knowledge is never just totally 100% accurate because there's always something new to learn. So if, if, if EVE adopts something like that where you have quarterly balance changes, it'd be, uh, it's an overall great thing for the game. Um, and uh, I understand that uh, uh, Jin Tan, who is a discount store Apothne, has been working very hard on the CSM to get that done. So, uh, uh, got to defend, <laughs> got to defend Jin, Jin Tan. Oh, it's okay. No, he's, he's a cool dude. I, I, I do like to uh, uh, give him a hard time, though. Anyway, he, he's been working hard. Like that's, I think that's like his pet issue, and so uh, he's probably been been bringing it up all the time on the CSM. So. Uh, I think it's a great change. Um, I, I would like to know the details. Like, is this team going to be solely focusing on that, or is like, or is this like ten percent of their time? Like, I don't know. But any step forward here is a positive. So, I think that one of the things that a lot of people probably don't realize is that for the longest time, the only time you got balance changes or passes were during the big expansions when they came out every you know like six to eight months. So you didn't even get what we have had in the last few years, you know, which are, you know, incremental changes every, you know, three or four months. 
having a balanced team is something that I, I think that everybody's been scrambling for for a long, long time. And it's depending upon how they put it together and who they put in it, um, assuming that these are these are devs that actually you know play Eve actively and interact with the CSM and you know other players, it could be a really, really good thing. If um, they follow the pattern of old where they would rotate devs, in and out of this team so you know like everybody gets a chance to experience this you know then uh, you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold my breath but if it's a dedicated you know small group of people that is connected to the community and actually is active in the game and can make changes based upon things that they actually see not just hear about third party on reddit or because someone you know made a big post on Kugu or whatever then um, this is a great thing, and I'm glad to see that they're finally uh, moving forward with it, uh, at least uh, to a point where it's actually getting uh, the uh, the profile that it's getting whenever Seagull's announcing it in a video. Go ahead, Asher. <laughs> no, dude, I'm, I'm just trolling us. Like, yes, please go ahead. Damn just, it. All right, go, I, please go. My my reaction to the uh, the Seagull video was uh, just delight at the polish of it as well. Uh, in, in contrast to recent uh, dev communication from CCP, where they were there were ad hoc comments put up on places like Reddit, this was carefully thought out and polished and really well presented on camera. Um, very well worded, very well stated, just you know polished. And I don't want to say anything to discourage the people who communicate ad hoc on forums because. Uh, that's actually really difficult to do and really painful. I appreciate those devs who can do it. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I'm a game dev in RL, and my team absolutely hates to go up and post on the forums, and they get treated like crap whenever they do. And uh, uh, But it's nice to see the really professional uh, communication again. Also, if we get this team uh, and they are uh, connected to the community, and they do communicate with us on an ad hoc basis. Please, it is in your best interest as a player base to treat them really well, treat them nicely, so they continue to do it and don't just all slit their wrists. Yeah, well, it is a change from the spring a few weeks ago where uh, it seems that everything that they did was antagonizing uh, the player base or the vocal player base, not necessarily all of them. And one thing I brought up earlier on the Open Con show, which you can catch on Friday nights, the same channel, was that they, they seem to be saying, we hear you, and they were talking to the players that were actually really noisy. And so I wonder if there's a segment of the population that is um, not being heard because they're not the ones complaining, like people who are interested in uh, PvE or think the game is kind of fine and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a, one thing you do learn about EVE when you play for a long time is that uh, we kind of really are the minority. By we, I mean like the, the PvP Nullsec people uh, who just PvP just all the time and live in Nullsec full-time. Uh, the longer and longer I play this game, the more often I notice that uh, there are, for every one of me, there's going to be like 10 other dudes who play very casually. Maybe not 10, but there's a lot of other dudes who play very casually in either high sec or uh, low sec. I just want nothing to do with what I what I do, and it just boggles my mind. But um, just going back really quick to the to the point of uh, the balance team and how that's going to uh, exist. Uh, just if you want an idea of how that could exist, when CCP Fozzie and CCP Rise first started working at CCP, 
um, they kind of got thrown to doing a lot of Valen stuff. And I remember having, I was on the CSM at the time, and I remember having this conversation with them because um, I, I really wanted them to balance capitals and stuff. I was like, you, so you're going to balance every frigate, every cruiser, every battle cruiser and battle, uh, and you're just going to go ahead and do that like right now? And you're not going to balance caps? And they're like, yeah, we think it's good for the game. I was like, silly CCP. And then they did it, and it completely reinvigorated how this game is being played. Basically, every ship that you're flying right now, and no matter where you are, uh, in low sec or high sec or wormhole space, and as long as you're PvPing, every ship that you're flying right now was balanced in that um, in that sort of balance pass era. And it was absolutely fantastic. So if we can get that happening more and more often, it was going to become a much more dynamic and fun place to be in. And not just the ships. They also did the modules. Yeah, exactly. They did module tier side. And um, it was absolutely fantastic. It, maybe if you guys haven't been playing E for a long time, but when CCB Fozzie was and CCB Rise were, were there at that time, they were like the golden boys of CCP. They could do no wrong. And it's just, uh, it's just so heartbreaking to see how... Uh, a lot of that has changed in the mind of some of these players. And uh, take it back to uh, Carneros' point. Um, you do have to be constructive when you're interacting with these people. <laughs> because poor CCP Fozzie, I think he's immune to it, but everyone else isn't. <laughs> um, so, like, people were just blasting poor CCP Fozzie uh, during some... I can't remember what it was. I think it was the carrier nerf uh, or something. And the very next day was a Saturday morning. He went on to do... Uh, he spent seven hours sitting in front of his computer to do the feeder rounds for the Alliance tournament in his off time. <laughs> like he did that <laughs> just just because he loves the the people who play the game, in spite of them uh, calling Aegis self Fozzie self and and using it as a bad word and stuff. Yeah. So it's you're just... allowed to be mad. Here's the thing: you're allowed to be mad at the game, but at least be constructive when you're talking to people. Uh, otherwise, that relationship that makes Eve so wonderful, the relationship relationship between the devs and the player base, which is really special in EVE Online. If you play other games, you don't always see this, and you almost never see it. Um, you, we just got to keep that going, because EVE is a much better place when the devs are happy to talk to the players. Whether they're angry or sad, it doesn't matter. But as long as they're being constructive, that's all that matters. Yeah, I liked what you said uh, one time. Uh, uh, Fozzie's like a robot. <laughs> what do you call him? Robot human or something? Or yeah, yeah, some sort of robot human. Uh, he's a cyborg. Let's just call him. <laughs> he can take so much punishment and keep going, and he calculates stuff so fast in his head that it's hard to argue with him. That's probably one of the reasons people get frustrated, but what an amazing person. Yeah. Uh, here's a, like, this is sort of an, uh, a tangent, but, you know, people are always like, oh, thanks to these CCP devs for spending their own time uh, to run the tournament. Um why does CCP not support the tournament? Like, why aren't they paying their devs to run something that's, like, really, uh, really good for their game? Like, clearly, it drives player engagement, and it's the it's the biggest streaming event of, of the year for for EVE. It's the only time that EVE gets in the, you know, the front page of Twitch. Like, why are we... And every year, I hear the same thing. Oh, these devs are sacrificing their personal time to run the, the Alliance tournament. You know, why are they not... Why are they not paying the people to do work on their game? I do not get this. It doesn't make sense to me. And yeah, thank you, devs. Thank you, devs, for, for doing this that we all enjoy. But let me just say that you should be getting paid for it. it the, the reason is because it would be hugely disruptive to their 
uh, cadence of releases if they were to do that. What would happen is they would have to take at least one sprint in uh, probably two sprints in the middle of summer, and they would have to stop planning their release stuff and instead plan uh, tasks related to AT, uh, and it would get expensive that way. But if they if they just keep uh, and they and the reality is they're probably planning slightly light for these two sprints anyway, so that they have the bandwidth to do side stuff in their own time. To uh, further answer that, my understanding when I went there to do the AT the two times that I went is that the devs are not paid. So if they work all Saturday or Sunday on the tournament, that means they can take Monday and Tuesday off. So like the time is, is comped and it's considered part of the job. Uh, and if anything, I'd say that we have more CCP investment in the tournament than certainly since I started being involved in tournament things and that we have a dev whose like title is tournament guy, right? That's CCP Logi Bro. Um, we've got the nice big fancy TV studio in the offices, um, which admittedly, yeah, that's used for EVE TV as well, but it's certainly an asset that had to be part of the equation. Do we want to build this? Oh, we can use it for tournament stuff as well, as well as the EVE TV show. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Elisa will remember the first year we did it, we were in a converted boxed meeting room with about a thousand million degree lights shining off us. And the casting booth was just kind of this sweaty mess that was like a monsoon in Florida. Whereas now it's a lovely kind of TV studio. Everything's laid out. They've got a command and control center. They've got way more people able to work on the behind the scenes doing all the camera work and stuff. So I'd say that um, CCP certainly do invest. Like the, the meme that, oh, CCP don't put any money into the tournament and it's just devs doing it when like Hilmar isn't looking in the offices or something is, is a complete lie. Like there is a fairly significant budget and the devs do get a certain level of support to what they're doing with the tournament. Yeah. Uh, and also maybe it's, um, I, I wonder how many, do you guys know how many people watch it? Uh, between uh, the, the peak numbers are between uh, six and 9,000, depending on uh, the, the moment in the day. Uh, last year was a little bit lower. I think it peaked at around somewhere around 8,000, but uh, it has gotten to 10,000 before in the yeah, past. I've seen a number over 10,000. Okay. Yeah. All right, but basically 10, let's say 10 to 15,000 uh, players. Um, so it's not a niche. It's it's kind of a good chunk of uh, uh, the populace. It's the biggest e-streaming event, unless unless there's like a, a BTAC-R or similar level happening, you know, battle happening. Um, it gets us onto the front page of Twitch, which is pretty cool. Right. I mean, that, it's the only time it happens, like I said, barring those very rare battles. Uh, just to, to grab a question in chat, the cruiser asks or mentions that, you know, if CCB focused more on the AT, they could potentially make millions. Just look at Dota um, and how other games do it. Uh, just, no. just to touch on that, Dota and those MOBA games are balanced around the competitive scene. Uh, the Alliance Hornet for Eve is, it has not, Eve doesn't balance around the Alliance Hornet, and I'm glad they don't because it's just this, this random set of rules and an instance and a game where rules don't usually exist. I think it's insanely cool and uh, a great mental exercise to do the Alliance Hornet and very fun to watch, but it could, it, it can't be <laughs> an esport. I'm the, sorry, like, uh, the, the strong esports 
are the ones where the core gameplay of the game is the esport itself. So when you play League, you are playing the same League that the pros are playing at a, at a lower skill level. In StarCraft 2, in Dota 2, that is all the same. Whereas in EVE, the Alliance Tournament is this like niche activity that until recently was actually basically impossible to simulate unless you were actually flying in the tournament on the day. Yeah, but it is very fun, and, and I do uh, hope everyone watches it. And, you know, the competitive scene has gotten really robust in the last two years. A lot of the credit for that goes to both CCP for creating a Thunderdome server and really buying into uh, the Alliance Warrant. Uh, the Thunderdome server is their event server, which is completely separated from the testing server and Tranquility. And um, people like EVNT um, and even the Imperium News Network with their Anger Games thing, uh, have a lot of competitive esports things going on throughout the year, and you know they're actually quite exciting. Not to to tune my own horn here, uh, as well as, as well as but they're very exciting and very fun to watch. Uh, these uh, the EVNT Championship Series, uh, it's like a five-on-five -five fight where there's like a drafting segment, and you know, it's just really fun to watch these pilots grow and. Uh, rivalries form and mistakes being made and clowny things happening like just ridiculous shit that you would never see uh or it's hard to see any to add to that one of the benefits of stuff like the anger games than the event stuff so i'd say that the player commentators and our understanding of what makes a good production of EVE Sports is massively improved because of all the extra practice that the commentators get, just as a basic example. But also, by having tournaments year-round with more people involved, more walks of the game, it means that the average literacy of tor EVE tournament play among the player base improves, which means that when you have that base understanding, it is far more easy to tune into the Alliance tournament once a year and have a good time with it. If you've been hearing about tournaments all year round and hearing some of the lingo and like i don't know like a random goon um in on comms in ashes uh sig might be hearing and say oh we were doing tourney practice and oh the lodgy is so important blah 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 they then watch the alliance tournament they know to you know watch the lodgy and how big a deal the lodgy is if the lodgy dies on one side and it doesn't on the other side yes i remember the first time i saw a uh, an alliance tournament uh one of the ships that popped up on there that i'd never encountered was a rook and then uh and you know, one doesn't see tons of rooks running around in, in space. So then the first time after that, I saw one uh, in a PvP situation. My first thought was, oh my god, that's very dangerous. That's from Alliance Tournament. Kill that thing. It was very funny. Yeah, you d it does contribute to your learning about uh, the game. Well, at the very least, I think the, 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 the big draw for me, and, and I wonder if there's a difference between Alliance Tournament and other tournaments as far as spectatorship, because the people who are playing the game, it's great for them. People who are interested in how to fight, if they can understand what's going on, it's great for them too. But for the majority of people, I think it's not, it's not that exciting unless you're rooting in some way for somebody and then you become a fan and then it's actually worth watching and then it's worth betting on and then it's worth uh talking with other people about who's going to win and predicting and stuff because you have a common something to meet around a common language so that's why the alliance tournament has that extra layer of i don't know what's going on i don't know what the ships are i don't really know the rules but i do know that this is my team and that's who i'm going for and so you get the advantage of the alliances being the teams rather than just individuals. 
I think it opens it That up. is the exact reason for the past two years I've been publishing my team summaries. So I've made them for three years. The first year I made them, I just kept them for myself. But then I realized how much of the engagement for people is rooting for their team or listening and, and hearing about the stories of other teams. So each year I put up this big list so everybody can get a feel for who they're watching in each match, even if it's not their own team. Like it's not just random alliance name versus random alliance name. This is, oh, this is the Russians from the East who have done this in the tournament before against, oh, the guys that actually live adjacent to me in catch. I guess I live in catch too, so I'm going to root for the guys who also live in catch. Or, you know, yeah. I fight them all the time. I'm going to root against them because I hate them or whatever. So I, I, like, I think it's really important that we, as much as possible, try to share the stories of these alliances. And also for the alliances themselves, it means that they have a huge opportunity to make a name for themselves. Like in, say, null PvP, it's very difficult to make a name for yourself if you're just being sat on the face of by PL all day. Um, so like, but in the alliance tournament, if you've got 10 dudes or 20 dudes, if you practice internally, that really, really care, then you can make an amazing, amazing reputation for yourselves. Like Test. Like when Test was at the height of their, we're bad at the game and we should be bad at the game and being bad at the game is what we want. Their AT team was a small core of guys from a huge alliance that really cared, that really put the effort in. And Test has and has had a fantastic AT team, despite the reputation on Tranquility for years now. Yeah, I will say this, and then we can wrap up and start moving to game news. A lot of stuff's kind of happening in the game. The Alliance tournament is a really good way for alliances to get recruits, because if you perform well there, your name gets out there. And then I think in EVE, people are attracted to success. And so then you start to, I know when I watched Pandemic Legion and RUR fighting, I think it was AT6, uh, I was like, wow, RUR is great, but uh, I probably can't join them since they're a small team and obscure and from, uh, where were they from, like Hungary or somewhere. So I'll make my goal to join PL one day. Like That'll be my goal. And that sustains, goals in EVE sustain you. That's why we keep playing is because we have these goals that we're going for. And I think Alliance Tournament... And you nearly made it, natural. I almost made it, but I fell short. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... Um, at least I'll give you more chance if you want to talk about the Alliance tournament a bit more. We're about to switch over to game news. Uh, you got anything else? Um, just uh, just one or two small bits. Um, we were talking about uh, CCB's buy-in for the Alliance tournament. Why don't they don't see it more? Uh, CCB did uh, sort of embolden EVNT and gave EVNT the feeder rounds, which was a new thing this year. And EVNT will be broadcasting the first two weekends of the Alliance tournament. And uh, CCB will be broadcasting the last two weekends of the Alliance tournament. So... The Alliance Hornet will now be uh, essentially five weekends instead of three or four, as it has been previously. So it's kind of more spread out a little bit. Um, and if you're interested in the prizes, uh, CCB Seagull's video does have a few glimpses of what we, we might be able to see. We saw like a pretty cool looking Nemesis and a pretty cool looking um, Arazu Hull. Um, they haven't come out and said that's what the prizes are going to look like, but you know, it's kind of a, a pretty strong hint and a nice little look at them. All right, cool. Very cool. Yeah, so let's talk about game news. What's going on out there? Uh, we have a few things that we've listed. Um, we did cover Alliance Tournament stuff already, so we'll just skip that. But uh, top of the list um, has to be there's a lot of activity in the Gehi area uh, and uh, apparently some stuff going on in Aquarius as well. Uh, so there's I some... could, Go ahead. I could say a couple things yeah. about that. Yeah, um, in Although sometimes the summertime does end up being low activity levels and 
A lot of PVPers are focused on Alliance Tournament, which we're not bringing up again. Uh, there, in contrast this year, there have been folks who moved down to an engagement distance and are nearby. So Gehi is the uh, current staging system for Northern Coalition Dot. We won't, uh, you know, your home alliance medal. Love Care, that. Careful how you and tread. No, 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 no. Just no. kidding. So uh, they're right nearby. Uh, they're not close enough to drop on our home systems in the Imperium, but they're only one in between. So one hop in between. So that's a great engagement range. They're right, they are within drop range of parts of Aquarius. So there's stuff going on in Aquarius. We've got Pandemic Horde down in the area. we got some other folks. And uh, uh, Aquarius is not as densely populated uh, and not and doesn't have as high activity defense modifiers defending it as Delve has. So it's, um, it's a, a much smaller elephant to try to chew, so to speak. Uh, so there's activity going on there. It's not super serious. It's just fun. But it's uh, it's PvP in the area, and it's serious enough to to draw an engagement without being serious enough to like ruin your day. Yeah, it is. It's a very active time for uh, that area and the people involved, including NC Dot. Uh, maybe we have uh, Travis Muskrat out there, FC for a U.S. Time Zone uh, for NC Dot. Maybe we'll have him on the show so he can talk about what's going on down there. Been doing a bunch of his fleets. Um, but it, it, it does seem like, uh, there's definitely something to do just about every day. Uh, there's kind of more pressure now to fleet up than I've seen in a long time to get out there and to participate, uh, cause there are things that they want to get done. There's another similar hotspot in, in addition to the, uh, uh, Canid, uh, Aquarius border area, the curse catch border has some stuff going on there too. In fact, um, there was a bait, uh, Astrohus that was online during our show this morning. And there was a, a decent sized fight over there. Uh, the Citadel did not successfully online. So, but it did draw a nice fight, which was the purpose in the first place. Is that a nice way uh, of saying you killed it or that nobody turned on the switch? No, uh, there was a form up on both sides for it. It was dropped uh, more or less by the space violence SIG. Uh, it it didn't uh, survive. So the Imperium lost oh, strategically on that one. So it was yours and, that you put down. Okay. Yeah, broadly speaking. All right. Not that I, I wasn't in the combat while on the show, though, because I don't multitask that well. <laughs> Neither do I. That's why all these things are happening on screen that shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, the South is really uh, ablaze with a lot of uh, a lot of activity. It seems like all the PVPers have moved down towards the South, and uh, uh, you know are just making it their playground right now. A lot of the playing is going on in Providence, Catch, and Quirius. It's kind of cool to see strategically how these alliances that, that live in the South are dealing with it. I think the um, the goons are probably dealing with it the best. They've littered Dell with so many keep stars and Fortazars that no one even wants to consider taking it. Um, but they've kept Quirius like a nice little playground, you know, so people will maybe want to come in and, and do some fighting there. And they're not dropping a bunch of caps on absolutely everybody. Interestingly enough, um, NC Dot and, and PL, when they moved, they, they did move without their uh, super capital fleet. So uh, a lot of people who perhaps wouldn't engage or escalate against PL. And NCDOT are doing just that. 
Uh, we see Providence especially um, uh, escalating all the time with dreads and capitals in their home system and, and sometimes even super caps. We've seen brave newbies drop super caps on PL, knowing that PL can't re-escalate. Um, so while it does seem like these alliances are fighting with a hand behind their back, they're literally just not bringing the one thing that's going to be a, a big detractor to fighting. So I think that's a, a really interesting uh, dynamic. And, and while it may not be as interesting as like a serious hell death war or something, it is miles more fun than that. Um, so if you actually are interested in PvPing, there's a lot of stuff going on in the South uh, all over the place. It's one of those rare situations in EVE where uh, having hostile scouts watch your move ops actually worked to their advantage because they got to see that, look, they didn't move any super caps. They just brought capital ships and subcaps. Uh, that that kind of scouting and intel in the hands of their opponents actually worked to their advantage because it meant, oh, we can afford to take some uh, fights and do some more interesting things and embrace them in a completely different manner as they arrive. Yeah, and a lot of the times the the people who moved without the super caps wanted to make it absolutely clear that they moved without super caps. <laughs> I was flying around through um, through Providence the other day, and I was in a Hyperion, which doesn't have a you know I don't know it was just a goofy little ship, and I, I jumped into a small gang, and they all ran, and I was like, why, why are you running? They're like, oh, you've got a sign, you're going to drop Titans on us. I was like, okay, a I don't have enough time. This warp isn't long enough me to explain how wrong you are but it was very frustrating but that doesn't happen um at the fleet level so that's why you see people like i was saying escalating with capitals and having really cool dread slugfest and carrier uh, little uh, little wars between carriers and fighter groups which is pretty immersive and fun gameplay if you haven't uh, done that well it seems like uh, that's yo, at least okay well what's up with pl uh, ever since uh, test memed on you with like seven titans it seems like you guys have basically just stopped doing things. Is that is that inaccurate? I believe that's kind of inaccurate. I mean, we just had some pretty large fights um, going on in the Providence area. It is hard to fight Tess, especially when they move around and they kind of come to uh, Tess's way to deal with PL, um, with Vili uh, and stuff like that, because he's a pretty smart guy, is to just not give us good fights or anything like that. And, um, you know, that totally works. And also Tess did move around to do their little stain clearing campaign. And that was kind of out of our uh, sphere of influence. Um, CO2 has been an incredible amount of fun to mess with um, because GigX always brings a, a very unpredictable, <laughs> very fun fight. And Providence has been a lot more interesting. And given that it's just a little bit closer, uh, actually a whole lot closer, we've just been focusing on that instead of creating timers elsewhere. But uh, there, there are some surprises in with, with tests that, that might come to, to pass very soon. It might be Ooh. some really good fun. Ooh, build oh. threats. I love yeah. build threats. I mean, it's just going to be fun times, not a veiled threat. Oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to misinterpret. Not personal. I love veiled fun times. I'm a mannered uh, EVE Online player. I don't make veiled threats. No. And at and in the corporation and the alliance adhocracy, uh, they used to say, we're gentlemen Vikings. <laughs> But they would come in and destroy everything, but they would do it with a little bit of class. A little panache. Yeah, mustaches, mustache wax. Um, so another area that's active, it's actually all connected, but um, we do see some activity and um, I'm a bit short on information here, but it looks like Scalding Pass Wicked Creek area. There is a conflict going on that's interesting. Uh, should look into that. 
Um, it looks like there's a clash of philosophies and uh, a lot of combat going on down there. Uh, oh, a big change. Um, I don't know if you're going to touch on this, but Tri mm -hmm. seems to have cut ties with um, um, their, their drone masters and are going to potentially start creating timers out in the drone lands. Who knows? Yeah, and the, there's a lot of political movement too uh, that I'm not, again, not. I can't talk about it because I'll say something that's wrong and there's no point in doing that. But um, there's definitely some alliances shifting, not just combat, but uh, people are people are f uh, upset that uh, Tri has turned on their allies or whatever. And so who knows? It may end up may end up being more even than it looks right now. So yeah, and that's uh, pretty interesting. So um, you know, conflict up in the east uh, and the renting areas up there in the drone lens. There's conflict in Scolding Pass Wicked Creek area, and of course, Aquarius and uh, low security in Amar space near Delve. So a lot of activity in the south. In the north, it looks like it is a lot of money making going on. Uh, and in high sec, oh, I have some information that uh, Horde is. Uh, in high sec, um, kind of muscling people uh, who own, um, you know, structure, economic structures, uh, stuff like that. So there's a lot of activity going on in EVE Online. Um, so it is quiet because the, the, there's no major campaigns, but there definitely is a lot of activity. And I wonder if that wasn't the philosophy of really the last four years is to get go back to get people to be in uh, small gangs again and keep the fight smaller rather than these set-piece epic uh, struggles for life and death. I think so, but it does feel uh, like a bit of a, an identity crisis sometimes because Eve does seem to love these huge, huge uh, null-sec battles and, and uh, the sort of the set time type of thing where, you know, like, we'll bring our big fleet at 2100 Eve on Saturday, we'll see you there type of uh, feel. That vibe always <laughs> seems to be very Eve and very fun for me. But uh, yeah, Meet you at the bike racks after school. Yeah, I'll grease back my hair with a little comb and pop my collar. <laughs> yeah. Switchblade comb. Yeah, you know, there you go. <laughs> what's funny is this podcast just came out from Imaginary Worlds podcast. Uh, check it out if you can. It's called uh, World War Eve. And um, so uh, somebody approached me and said, uh, can you tell me about this game? Because he does a podcast on Imaginary Worlds, not just video games, but many other things. Um, I gave him a backdrop and then I... Uh, gave him some names of people to contact. Actually, at least you were in that one. And uh, the podcast was really good. Uh, it was a little inaccurate because, of course, he doesn't comprehend all the little rules of EVE. But, man, as a podcast, it really really focused on the story of the game and the people, which is exactly where um, the outside world meets with EVE Online. Uh, I don't think anybody who doesn't understand EVE can look at the game and be interested in stats or fittings or any of that stuff. I think the, the thing that attracts people is the story. And the bigger the story, the better. And so, of course, he wanted to focus on BTAC-R, even though that happened a few years ago. Uh, so, yeah, those things are still, like, we, we don't... Uh, to fight in those fights isn't necessarily the funnest gameplay. But to say that you were there kind of means something. Uh, and I think they're, they're working on that balance to make it fun, but also make it important. And that's what's kind of missing, the importance of fighting. One of my favorite little things about Eve is um, I, I was talking about this the other day. I make a lot of alts every kind of the beginning of the year to either put them into groups to spy or just to do a new interesting thing in Eve that I've never done before. And when you're in a smaller group, like I'm in right now, I'm in a, a mining group in high sec, 
And it is so fun to hear them uh, kind of talking about NullSec politics and talking about a big fight that happened. And they all have, it seems like they all have like a side that they root for and they all have a dog in the, in the race and they're like, and then they meet someone that's been in one of the big fights. They ask them how it is. And it's just kind of a, a lot of excitement. Um, but it, it is, it's so hard to uh, keep a, keep a round or <laughs> keep a level head about that. Like it, it's really, really interesting just to see how the other half lives and uh, just to, to see that they, they have a rooting interest in, in NullSec uh, politics. I think that's so fun and so interesting and uh, creates a great dynamic in the game. To crush their little hearts, <laughs> PL. Yeah. Well, like you said, like, uh, when you started out, you wanted to, to join PL. Like When I started out, I was like, oh, I want to join PL. This seems like a good group. I got rejected the first time, so it just made me try harder. Um, it's important to have like these type of goals and things. Well, I'd say you made it, considering you're one of the senior voices there. Good job. I failed. I flunked out. That's okay. I got kicked out once and then rejected twice. So, uh, so. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. All right. Um, the next... And, and speaking of podcasts... Um, there is a bunch of podcasts uh, that you can find on EVE Online. I think I saw that uh, on Reddit. I, it, was interesting. it was interesting to see people seeking out podcasts. So there's still a vibrant community that is commuting and wanting to listen to EVE while they drive uh, instead of news. Um, so you go to evepodcast.com, check out the podcast list there. That's where most people uh, post their podcast. Yeah, One of my favorite... It's called the Asher Hour. You should check that one out. Oh, that's where I was turning. Uh, yeah, Asher Hour is a great podcast. One of my favorites because it is so good at what it's about, and that is intense uh, nerdiness, f seeing, and all the talk about doctrines and piloting. And I just uh, it, I've been around a while, but I still always learn stuff on that on that show. Your show, Asher. That's your show. Well, thank you. So keep making I'm it. Glad, I'm glad you like it. Um, there's been a lot to talk about lately, so I've been able to do a few episodes. I mean, that's one nice thing about not having a set schedule is if nothing happens in a month, I just don't do one for a month, which I guess can be annoying, but you, you don't get shows where you're just treading water, um, which is, you know, unfortunately, sometimes just nothing happens in a week. Uh, and so there's nothing to talk about. But right mm -hmm. now we've got, you know, all these changes. And uh, so there's lots to talk about, which is nice. Yeah. Can you, um, someone link Asher Hours podcast in there? Thank you. Uh, Dirk McGurk's totally helping us out and putting, uh, putting the links in place. Uh, but yeah, it, it's funny because there are very few podcasts that can, one person can talk for an hour and it's still a good podcast. I certainly can't do that, but you can. Uh, maybe Dirk can do it too. He's proven it a few times. Uh, but the whole hour is like you basically saying what's going on out there. And that was intensely interesting because you're very involved in the wars you're involved in the doctrines uh, that are being fit and used and why they're being used and what's good about them and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, catch that podcast. You should make more. So nothing, nothing will be better for me than if they do have a balanced team and I can just I can just talk about that, you know, forever. Um, but, yeah, if they're if they're doing updates and changes frequently, that that's a lot more fodder for me. Yeah. One other thing, and it was pointed out here, uh, Clueless Space Nerds is a podcast that if you like irreverence is a, is a good one to listen to. Uh, so check that out. Anyway, so I, I, the reason I bring up the podcast is that uh, I, I was oh, pleased that people are seeking them out. So they're still they're still important. And that's kind of why we still put them out. And I love the idea of people who are commuting, having something because, you know, it's 
such long commitments. Matter all, about a month ago, someone on Reddit asked, you know, what are good podcasts? You made a really nice, informative post, and Reddit immediately downvoted you to the very bottom of the uh, post. <laughs> I, I always, I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah. The, the only, the only person who took the time to show to link all the different podcasts was the one who got downvoted. Yeah. Well, I always call uh, Reddit's an emotional place, so it's it's not about what's right or wrong; it's about how you feel. So, um, yeah. So let's go on, uh, wrap up the show a little bit early today because we all have uh, commitments we need to get to. Is there uh, is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about? Thank you, to, thank you to the people who donated and subscribed. Thank you to Celine and Apophany who had to duck out a little bit early. Um, you know, we didn't hit Citadels at all. They, they did. They did talk about that a bit. So yes, actually, I did want to. Um, before we do our goodbyes, um, let's. The last subject we'll hit is this uh, video that came out. They talked about Citadels and how they were going to change them. So, last ten minutes, go. Um, well, it sounds like they're going to hit void bombs. Like that. That was the really only concrete thing they said, uh, which is super important because void bombs have basically totally redefined the meta of of real, you know, doctrines, and that is. Can your doctrine fight without using any cap at all? Because you're going to have to. And, you know, Macarios were already the most powerful ship, but the fact that the Macario fits perfectly in that uh, arena made them even even more powerful. Um, so it was just re it was just reinforcing, you know, uh, a meta that was already bad. And it also made shield ships basically unusable because there's no such thing really other than maybe like a Scorpion Navy issue where you can have like a passive shield tank fleet um actually a slept near fleet can do that too but you're you're talking about very few ships that can really do that um so i don't know what they're going to do um I, hopefully that they basically will get rid of void bombs except maybe on keep stars or something like that or make them uh have a much smaller explosion radius or or, or defender launchers can hit them they have a lot of options but uh the other thing they said they're going to have is they're going to talk with the csm uh, next month about what to do with uh you know about about citadels to make them better um so that's more open-ended and probably something we won't see for a while but at least it's positive changes yeah the the hilarious irony with the, the void bombs and citadels is ccp is always so careful not to influence the meta with a game design change and they always i remember on my terms on the the csm whenever there was a design or um, a ship balance uh panel and they would say, well, yeah, well, we don't want to balance a ship based on how it's used now because we don't want to influence the meta uh, and how ships are used. So it's okay. But then when <laughs> the void bombs came out, like they influenced the meta so hard, <laughs> and they actually actually made it so there's only a certain ships that can can work. Um, but I have a feeling they they erred on the side of defense with these citadels, which I don't blame them for. I'd rather them make them too strong. Uh, are too defensively strong than too offensively strong. Um, but hopefully the when we see this iteration, we'll see a lot of the, the pain points that we've seen and felt uh, over and over and over and over again over a course of weeks will be addressed. And maybe some uh, some of the smaller Citadel spam will, will be dealt with as well. What do you guys think of the timing, though? Like, they they were saying all the right things, and then they said... So we'll be discussing this at the summit, which is in August, and then so you know that no changes are coming until those discussions happen. So this so is I not, not going to happen. A lot for a of while. it. Go ahead. Sorry, I keep walking over you. I think a lot of it has to do with how CCB works and how Iceland works as a country. Um, during the summer, they have a lot of people take vacations and a lot of people go on extended holidays and stuff like that. 
Um, that's just the culture of the country, so they can't get too much accomplished during the summertime. And um, then in the fall, they can you know push out big, big strategic ideas and, and huge, uh, you know, goals and and put them out in in the winter. Um, perhaps Carneros can you know say that I'm making this up or saying how how it actually no, works. Exactly He's actually right. been there. I'm just kind of guessing. It's exactly right. Kind of guessing. You've uh, been there how many times? Uh, more times than I can count on my my hands. And uh, as soon as this alliance tournament is over, more times than I can count with my hands and toes. And I have not lost a digit yet. Nice. That's uh, that's interesting. You ever? Uh, this is off topic, but um, actually, are we finished with uh, did, anything else? Do you want to talk about with Citadels? Uh, no, that, that's been it's it's been beat to death. We, everyone knows what the problems are. Yeah, yeah. And and so, do you have actually, Asher? Do you have some hope they're going to make some changes? Do I have hope? I have got lots of hope. Optimistic. <laughs> um, oh, you have hope. Okay. Yeah. No, I think they will. I mean, I think that that, that you know, the CCP is like uh, one of those companies that that will just push and push and push and push until they get really strong pushback and they've reached that point where they're going to have to make changes b before you know they start bleeding people and they already are i mean you, we can all look at the numbers we all know that people are stopped playing the game it's not hidden um and um by the way don't be surprised if we see some kind of world of warcraft thing where they stop showing you how many people are online at any one time sooner or later Hmm. um because they uh uh the numbers are very bad um and i i think they're going to start you know saying you know oh this it's encouraging other people to leave by knowing how many people already are leaving anyway that's just a prediction um but in general um they know they need to make changes uh they they're they're trying to milk eve for as much as they can to build vr sports games but uh hopefully they've got to the point where they realize they cannot milk it that hard anymore yeah um, I disagree. But. Yeah, there are probably differing views on that. But uh, I did want to, before we get into that discussion, I want to get into uh, talking to someone like Elise who travels to Iceland a lot for this game. Do you ever think about like what you're doing? Like, why am I doing this kind of thing? Yeah, uh, totally. When I first started with the CSM, I was a, a graduate student and I had an awful lot of free time. Uh, so it was no problem. I was like, oh, cool. I get to go to this crazy foreign country that I'd never go to otherwise, because why would anyone go to Iceland? Um, there's not really that much there. Since then, I've learned how great Iceland is, and I was like, oh, this is cool. But then I kind of got a, an actual job, so all of my vacation time, much to the dismay of my family, <laughs> was, going, was going to Iceland for the Alliance tournament stuff and for FanFest and, and these Eve meet. Um, but so now I, I essentially go much less frequently. I go to, to FanFest. And this year, I was able to um, apply for Alliance Tournament Commentator. I wasn't able to apply last year because I didn't have the time. And it is one of my favorite things to do, so I get to go again this year. Um, but, you know, these Eve meets, I was very skeptical of them the first time I went. I was like, I don't think I relate to all these people so well. And now that I've been to them, I can see that Eve meets are absolutely fantastic. Um, you get to meet the people behind the avatar, and they're shockingly normal. Uh, they're they're not weird. They're not they're uh, employable. Extreme. Yeah, that's my criteria. There you go. Yeah, and, and they don't even smell that bad. I mean, some of them do, but not all of them. Uh, the bulk of them don't. And so uh, I do get a lot of enjoyment from from going to these what a ringing endorsement. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they don't smell that bad. <laughs> Eve Online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the first time I went to an Eve Online fan fest, uh, the then director of education Neville Smith. Uh, was saying, 
uh, how strange it was to actually hear my voice coming out of a live human body for once. Yeah. The um, thing I wanted to point out before we go, because we're wrapping up, is uh, w um, Talking in Stations is famous. Uh, so CCP put out the speakers for E-Vegas, and they said Matterall from the f Talking in Stations fame. So we want to say thank you to Manifest for putting that in there. Really appreciate it. And um, and this is the show. You've just watched it or listened to it. Uh, we'll have you back next week when we bring up another topic. And for those of you going to Eve Vegas, I will be speaking on Eve history and uh, among other things. Uh, so check it out and definitely go to Eve Vegas if you get a chance. It's a huge three-day party for anybody who's a fan of Eve. There's always something to talk about with just about anybody. You guys, um, you guys want to plug anything before we go? I've already been sufficiently plugged. Thank you. <laughs> want to give a, a shout out to the uh, PL Online tournament team, who I know are going to be absolutely fantastic. And um, we're talking about Eve meets. I think Eve Northeast is coming up soon. I don't know exactly when it is, but you, you guys can like Google it and stuff. Uh, a lot of cool people are going to be there. And uh, if you get a shirt, I think there's actually going to be a PL logo on it too, because YOLO. Yes, right. Uh, shout out to the Bastion Alliance tournament team, who are learning massive quantities of lessons right now in deep humility. Good, good luck, guys. Thanks. Seamus? Uh, the only example I can think of off the top of my head would be Eve University's personnel officers who work tirelessly to uh, admit all the many new players who are constantly putting applications in. Oh, that's right. Eve University, great place. And uh, you're, a, you're a legendary name coming out of Eve University. So thanks for, thanks for coming out and doing the show too. All right, uh, that wraps it up for today. I uh, want to thank everybody that showed up. We did lose uh, Celine, as Carnero said earlier, and Apothne, because they had to go, and the rest of us do too. But always hang out in Talking in Stations Discord, where you can uh, jump into public. It's free, and talk to us when we're hanging around. I want to thank Asher and Carneros and Elise and Seamus and the other two guys for showing up. That's all we have this week. We'll see you next week on Talking in Stations.